from NBC5 Chicago. Legal cannabis is just days away in Illinois. I expect that we will see lines. I expect that we will see product shortages. But with that comes a whole new set of questions. I guess I knew about reefers. That's marijuana ever since junior high. Among those, a sea change for law enforcement. It's bad for our young people, bad for our schools, bad for communities. Changes in the law and cultural changes for the police themselves. Anything can be dangerous, right? Too much water is actually dangerous. So the, the harm is in the dose. This is High Expectations, Cannabis in Illinois. I'm Phil Rogers, joined by Courtney Copenhagen, my colleague covering cannabis issues for NBC5. The countdown is on to a major culture change here in Illinois. But there are still so many misperceptions out there uh, that come January 1st, this drug is just going to be everywhere in Illinois. But in reality, there are a lot of rules. And in fact, Courtney, one of the biggest issues when it comes to the rules surrounding this, and of course, you know, there are rules about where it can be sold, but there are major limits on how much someone can buy. So when you walk into the dispensary, again, you're going to work with a bud tender, but there is a limit on how much you can actually purchase. And in the law, it states that it's 30 grams of flour, 5 grams of cannabis concentrate, and 500 milligrams of THC cannabis-infused products. So again, flour is basically the bud, the green bud that you see that you would use in a joint. The cannabis concentrate is something that you would find in a vape or like shatter and wax, which is something that you smoke in a pipe. And then, of course, your cannabis-infused product are your edibles. Those are your cookies, your candy bars, and your gummies. But when you go to the counter and you actually purchase this, no one is actually tracking. The state nor the dispensary is actually tracking your purchase. So you'll have that limit that day of what you purchase, but no one is going to know how often you go or what you buy because they are not tracking it. You do have to show your ID when you enter the dispensary to show that you're actually 21 years old. And then again, at the point of sale, and that's just again to determine that you're 21 and whether or not you're a resident or not a resident of Illinois, because if you're not a resident, you can only do half of that limit. So only 250 milligrams of edibles. So that's why they actually show your ID at the point of sale, but it's not to track your purchase. Now, medical patients, they do track what medical patients purchase, and that's mostly due to product recall. If there is a product recall, they want to make sure that they get that information out to the medical patients. But other than that, your recreational user is not going to be tracked. Their purchase is not going to be kept in any sort of database in the state or at the dispensary. And in fact, truth be known, one of the biggest enforcers of these limits is going to be the price. It's not like people are going to go from dispensary to dispensary stockpiling a car full of marijuana. They won't be able to afford that. That would be a very expensive day for you with 30 grams of flour, 5 grams of cannabis concentrate, and 500 milligrams of edibles. If you were to go to the next dispensary, that's going to be a large purchase. And I guess I don't know what you would do with all those purchases. Now, one thing we might note is that in other states, they've done this differently. For instance, Colorado uh, has a kind of a simplified form, which is complicated. You can buy one ounce of THC. That's the limit on purchases in Colorado. But when you do that, you get to 
mix and match what you buy. So in other words, one ounce of flour would be one ounce of flour. But one ounce of flour is equal to eight grams of concentrate. It's also equal to 800 milligrams of edibles. And you can mix and match all of that when you go into a dispensary. So that's up to the dispensary to kind of police that when you go in. Uh, gives Coloradans kind of a different choice. Uh, the Illinois system is a little simpler when it comes to actually defining everything. So, Phil, when you were out in Colorado, you didn't just spend time in dispensaries. You also spent a lot of time with the Colorado State Police and learning about how they are enforcing the law out there. Yeah, we really wanted to see how police are dealing with this in a state where it's been legal for several years. We went out with the Colorado State Patrol. We rode along with them and also got to spend a little time just talking about law enforcement. We were with Trooper Jerry Sharp, who is a drug recognition expert, a DRE for the Colorado State Patrol. And he admitted that right now, even nearly six years into the trip, they are still learning a lot about enforcement. Enforcement of cannabis is not as simple as enforcement of alcohol. Especially because there is no breathalyzer, correct? There is no breathalyzer, and so they have to do things uh, differently for cannabis. Now, sometimes that shakes out that someone that they pull over is actually also under the influence of alcohol, and a breathalyzer test will go ahead and, and bring that person in to, at the legal limits. But otherwise, if a person is impaired on cannabis alone, there's no test for that. There's no machine. So they will do the standard roadside maneuvers, the, the tests that they administer right there on the shoulder of the road. If there's reason to believe that the person is impaired, they can use a blood test to actually confirm that. Our statute affords, uh, it requires that we show mental and or physical impairment or the combination thereof. So if you can show one or the other, you ultimately you still have to show impairment. The jury instructions say it's perceived that at five nanograms of delta-9 THC, which is the active ingredient, that someone is unsafe to operate a vehicle. It comes back down to proving that case on observations, admissions, um, those totality of the circumstance becomes very important to show why that person shouldn't have been driving or was under the influence. From a law enforcement standpoint, this is harder than alcohol. For sure, it forces the officer to slow down, ask more questions, make more observations, and uh, collect more evidence. And ultimately, it just boils, it's gonna take more time to get the evidence that we need to show that someone shouldn't have been driving. So that was Colorado. So now here in Illinois, our police departments, our sheriff, deputies, they are all training, kind of retraining their officers. Uh, it's a program called A-RIDE, and that's Advanced Roadside Impairment Driving Enforcement. We recently sat down with Deputy Tyler Fry from DuPage County, and he explained to us among the roadside maneuvers that they use in order to determine if somebody is under the influence is it's called HG. N, and that's the horizontal gaze test. Involuntary jerking of the eyes. Alcohol is a depressant, and what it does is it uh, causes HGN 
without the individual knowing that their eyes are, are jerking left and right. We have the individual stand straight up. Uh, we then have our pen, a finger, uh, pointed 12 to 15 inches away from the indiv individual's face. We then have them focus on that stimulus and we go back and forth with the eyes, having them follow with their eyes and eyes only. There is no HGN with cannabis. So th th that's something different than, than with alcohol. With alcohol, you're gonna show it. With cannabis, you're not. Mm -hmm. One thing that uh, cannabis users uh, will have is uh, uh, right away is dilated pupils. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, individuals who have alcohol will show that, but at high levels. And of course, as Deputy Fry noted, and that kind of anybody who's smelled cannabis, you can also just smell it too on a person. So that's also one way to kind of determine if they are under the influence. But again, the number one question here is with no breathalyzer, how do you go about testing for THC in drivers you suspect that are driving high? We're doing pilot programs. Uh, for example, Carroll Stream Police Department has a pilot program testing out devices to see how accurate they are. Mm -hmm. uh, we probably won't see those for another two to three years maybe uh, because it has to go through court, uh, get scientifically proven, and then we'll be able to use it as probable cause for the arrest. It goes without saying this is kind of a cultural change for police. I mean, one day they are enforcing marijuana laws. The next day the marijuana law will have changed and marijuana will be legal. And it really is something that many police have been dealing with for decades. Uh, you know, marijuana busts have been part of policing in the United States now since the 30s. Uh, we, we spoke to the Chicago Police Department about this, about that cultural change. Sergeant Mike Malinowski with the Chicago Police Department noted that really that's true, but the laws have been gradually changing here in Chicago. The Chicago Police Department, the city of Chicago, we have been baby stepping towards this for a few years now. With the implementation of our municipal citations, uh, tickets for low level personal cannabis use. You know, uh, I can only speak for myself and, you know, the officers that I've worked closely with over the last 20 years. And if uh, there was a drug that could progressively uh, become legal, cannabis would be that drug. The tolerance of, of people along the way for its use uh, across the country and here in Chicago has gradually changed over time. And I can only say that it has, it has gradually changed over the past 20 years that I've been a police officer. Chicago police suggest there's going to be one benefit in policing for the legalization of recreational cannabis, and that is that it might actually put a dent in the illicit drug trade. This eliminates the need for open-air drug markets and provides opportunities for citizens who are interested in consuming THC to go somewhere legally to purchase it and avoid those terrible areas where open-air drug markets you know, have been a persistent problem. Courtney, not everybody agrees that this is necessarily going to put the neighborhood drug dealer out of business. No, many believe that it's not. You know, the people who go to a dealer on the street corner, they're going to continue going to that dealer on the street corner because the price differences. It is very expensive to buy a product inside a dispensary. So the people who already use it and they feel safe with their dealer, they're going to use it. But the people who want a safe product in a safe environment, those are the ones that are going to go into the dispensary. 
because the one, the product that's on the street corner, you have no idea what you're purchasing. You have no idea if it's going to be laced with fentanyl. You have no idea what you're getting. And when you go into a dispensary, you're walking into a brightly lit storefront with massive amounts of security and bud tenders who are going to explain the entire process with you. So you're not putting your life or risking your life for this. You're not putting your safety in jeopardy by walking into a dispensary. But in light of that, as far as law enforcement is concerned, they're not so concerned about where you purchased it, whether you got it from a dealer on a street corner or whether you got it in a dispensary. What they're worried about is the limits and exactly how much you have with you. And to get an explanation, we sat down with Brendan Nemec, the attorney for the Chicago Police Department. In that circumstance, when officers are uh, interacting with an individual who is possessing cannabis within those uh, possession limits, the officer will be confined by the ability to investigate whether the person is above or below the possession limits, uh, not necessarily investigating where did the person uh, obtain this product. Now, if it's an investigation into the unlawful trafficking, the unlawful delivery, the un unlawful possession with intent to deliver cannabis, the officer can look outside the circumstances and see, did this person receive this cannabis product uh, and, and then has other indicators of, of unlawful delivery, such as the presence of scales, uh, large amounts of cash, uh, narcotics packaging material, and, and firearms are some of the indicators that the courts have accepted as indicators of possession with intent to deliver or that the person may be involved in illegal drug trafficking. Courtney, some of the biggest rules uh, going forward here in Illinois will involve exactly where someone can legally use marijuana. A lot of people think this is going to be wide open and nothing could be further from the truth. Again, statewide, the law still says that you cannot be smoking it out in public. Anything that is considered public, that would be a park, that would be a sidewalk, anything of, of that nature is considered public. And of course, you cannot consume it in a car. You cannot consume it in a bar. <laughs> we'll go through that again. But anyways, um, no, you're still not allowed to. But recently, Mayor Lightfoot actually changed the rules here in Chicago and said that the Chicago Police Department recognizes that an individual using cannabis in their own backyard or balcony poses no direct threat to public safety and no resident should be arrested or ticketed solely for such a scenario. So she's giving a little bit of leeway on where you can actually consume cannabis. But again, this does not mean that you can sit down in Daly Plaza and light up a joint. Now, there are some provisions in the state law for consumption areas, but it's up to local communities. The state law says that tobacco stores and cannabis establishments, that is dispensaries, can actually set up consumption areas. That would be something like a smoking lounge. But it's important to note that that's not automatic. A local community, the city council, has to actually put an ordinance on the books giving permission for those kinds of places to set up those kinds of areas. So I think that that's something we're really going to see going forward. But what is not included are parties. You cannot host a party as of right now before January 1st you cannot host a party and actually advertise that there's going to be marijuana there. Yeah, we, we started getting flyers about parties. There was one in particular that was uh, being advertised in University Park, and they actually had booked a country club for this. We inquired with the state police, is this legit? Because it sounded like, A, the 
place was wrong, and B, midnight on New Year's Eve is still before legal cannabis is sold. The statement that they sent us was pretty emphatic, and here it is. All cannabis consumed in Illinois must be purchased from licensed dispensaries, and licensed dispensaries cannot begin sales of cannabis until 6 a.m. on January 1, 2020. Midnight is before 6 a.m. So even if people think, well, we'll have a party and we'll start smoking pot at the party at midnight when it's legal in Illinois, it is legal in Illinois, but no legal sales will have taken place. Those can't happen until 6 o'clock in the morning. Courtney, speaking of the state police, there is a bit of controversy about how consumption of cannabis in Illinois is going to affect people's gun rights. We've gotten a lot of questions about this. We did. We have. We've gotten a lot of questions. A lot of people are concerned that if they purchase recreational marijuana, that if they have a current FOID card, it will be taken away from them or that if they go to try to purchase a gun in the future, that the Illinois State Police are going to see that they purchase recreational marijuana and not grant them the license to actually buy a gun. We felt this is a really important topic, so we reached out to Illinois State Police to get clarification on this because, like I said, we've gotten a lot of inquiries. So here's their exact statement on firearms. The Illinois State Police will not revoke a firearm owner's identification card or FOID card based solely on a person's legal use of adult-use cannabis. Pursuant to both state and federal law, a person who is addicted to or a habitual user of narcotics is not permitted to possess or use firearms. So what they're saying there is basically just garden variety use of marijuana is not going to be a deal breaker for having a firearms owner identification card. But if it gets out of hand, if you're a chronic user, if you're a dealer, that's a different matter. Correct. But different rules apply when it comes to federal gun licenses. Yeah. And it's important to note that while the state of Illinois is being very magnanimous about this, there is one critical issue. And that is that when you go in to a gun store to purchase a firearm, you have to fill out a federal form. It's Form 4473 from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. That form still says very, very plainly, it's question number 11E, are you an unlawful user of or addicted to marijuana or any depressant, stimulant, narcotic drug, or any other controlled substance? Well, you could say, Okay, you can ask me that, but hey, Illinois just legalized, so I don't have to worry about this anymore. In bold print on that federal form, it says, Warning, the use or possession of marijuana remains unlawful under federal law, regardless of whether it has been legalized or decriminalized for medicinal or recreational purposes in the state where you reside. Courtney, that's a recent change. And it is considered something of a deal breaker for purchases in a licensed firearm dealer. Now, the interpretation of this has been that for private gun sales where the federal forms are not required, that may not be the case. But I think this is something you're going to see become a major issue as we go forward. But much of this really just involves common sense. No, you cannot smoke it out in public and... Keep in mind that there are limits to what you can purchase. 
When we were out in Colorado riding around in the mountains in the squad car with Trooper Jerry Sharp, I asked him about how life has really changed since legalization. It's been five years. Is it mainstream now? Yes. For a lot of people, they don't, it's something that just blends into the horizon for them on their day-to-day -day life, and they don't necessarily give it a second thought. That all remains to be seen here in Illinois. In the meantime, stay tuned for our next episode when we look at social equity and expungement, which was considered a very big part of this bill. That's next week. For now, this has been High Expectations Cannabis in Illinois. With Courtney Copenhagen, I'm Phil Rogers.